Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the show. Is Liz Truss a revolutionary socialist on an undercover mission to destroy the Conservative Party forever and discredit free market economics in their entirety? I think that's a pretty... I mean, there's less rational explanations for the behaviour of the Liz Truss government. Um, I think it's fair to say she's had a, a rocky start to her premiership. I say that. I think it is fair to say she's had the most disastrous start, most catastrophic start of any prime minister in history. And bear in mind for a significant portion of her premiership. There was the Queen's death. There was a period of national mourning, so politics was suspended. She's um, she certainly made, made an impression on the British public. They don't like her or her policies. Um, well, largely because of her policies. So just a quick rerun. Um, she did an energy package, which the government was going to have to do because Otherwise, society would collapse because people can't afford to pay over £7,000 a year on energy bills and small businesses and medium-sized businesses would have gone to the wall. But she refused to do it by imposing a windfall tax on excess profits. Um, but at least you could think, well, she's intervened. She stopped, you know, as much of a, a, a calamity that would have been meant for living standards, though people are still paying more in bills than they were. And then, of course, she, uh, her and her chancellor... Um, uh, initiated a mini budget, which slashed taxes on the rich, which is going to be paid for by slashing benefits for struggling people, um, as well as, of course, cutting uh, or re- reversing the cuts in corporation tax, which Rishi Sunak had correctly noted the uh, the hikes. So the cuts in corporation tax under the Conservatives had failed to increase investment, but she's not interested in evidence, I'm afraid. She's very, very ideologically committed, Liz Truss. I think we can certainly ascertain that. That, of course, create caused a massive um, economic crisis. Uh, sell-off of government bonds, a run on pension funds, nearly went bankrupt. The Bank of England had to bail them out. Mortgage payments, of course, is going to go up. The pound plummeted. It's not looking great, is it? It's an interesting experiment. I'll give you that. Um, what we're going to do today is we're going to talk to a pollster, a brilliant pollster, Chris Curtis, who many of you will follow on social media at Opinion, just to go through some of the polling, because I just want to know how bad, how terrible it is. Um, if it sounds like I'm enjoying it a little bit too much, then I am. I think it's hilarious. Not 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 for the country. People are going to suffer terrible consequences. We've got two more years of this. They've got a lot of damage still to inflict on the country. Um, and later on, we're going to be talking to my brilliant colleague, at the Guardian, uh, Zoe Williams, just talk about where where she thinks this is all headed and also talk a bit about Labour, I would imagine. Um, if you're watching live, as ever, do press um, like and subscribe um, and on the podcast as well, of course. Um, you can support the show by using Super Chats. I will put your questions to the guests and then thank you all at the end. And do support us on patreon.com forward slash Owen We, because of you, we made documentary about Tory party conference. That's what you enable us to do. Let's have a little clip from that because we're actually quite proud of that video. Here's a little clip. No, we're talking about high paid jobs. Yes. Well, no. Do you think I mean, there's lots and lots and lots of high paid jobs? Yes, that there are. And right. uh, pay is increasing across the board. I mean, obviously, if you're a care worker, you can't go and work as a city solicitor. You think pay is increasing across the board? Yes, vastly so. In some cases, by 50% or more in the legal uh, sector. So pay is, de- in real terms, overall declining in the so, city. No, you're talking bollocks. Mm. It was a, a, a real pleasure meeting some of those characters, I have to say. Not a random guy. He used to be in charge of finance at Wandsworth C- Council. <laughs> He's a Tory councillor, former Tory councillor, very powerful councillor, one of the former flagship Conservative councils. Wages, I should be very clear, are not rising massively across the board. Quite the opposite, of course. We've gone through the re- longest squeeze in real terms 
uh, pay since the Victorian period. But that was just like, it was interesting to get a little flavour of where the Tory grassroots were at. Uh, but anyway, thank you for enabling that documentary to be made. We've got lots more videos in the pipeline. Let's bring in Chris Curtis from Abinion. Hey, buddy. How Hello. you doing? Absolutely, Owen. I'm all right, thank you. How are you doing? Very well. Um, probably a bit better than Liz Truss at the moment. Um, although, I mean, maybe she doesn't seem that yeah. bothered. I wonder if she's just... I mean, maybe this is... She's got... What is it? Rhino, yeah. thick as rhino hide? What's the expression? What am I clutching for here, Chris? The, 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 the Millwall attitude works if you're a football club. It doesn't work if you're running or trying to run a democracy and want to in some way get re-elected in two years' time. Um, it's certainly an interesting experiment. Let's look is. at some of the polling. In Let's just run through. We'll start with your polling company opinion, having a splash of the observer. Liz Truss approval ratings reached new lows after Tory conference. Minus 47 Worse than Boris Johnson at the height of Partygate scandal. So worse than when the Prime Minister lied repeatedly about parties taking place illicitly um, in number 10. Let's look at YouGov, shall we? Uh, Labour lead of 30 points. People are just used to these now. 30-point leads. Uh, the Tories down to 22%. Astonishing, really. Um, let's have a look at this. Uh, again, this was YouGov. Um, who's to blame for rising mortgage rates? Government, 52%. Global economic factors, which is all Tory grassroots wanted to talk to me about at conference, 24%. And in Scotland, the Tories have slumped in favour of Labour. So Labour haven't made any inroads into the SNP vote there, but they have made massive inroads or significant inroads into the Tory vote. They're on 31%, a lot higher than they've been for a while. SNP, 45%. Tories on 12%. I read somewhere, one poll, I can't remember which one, um, it... 8% of under 50s supported yeah. the Conservatives. Yeah, I think I think that was I think that was the I think that was the YouGov poll as well. Um so well I'll start with that final point, which is um, age is still the dividing line in British politics. It has really been since Jeremy Corbyn took over as leader of the Conservative Party. Real dramatic effect. Labour Party. Labour Party, yes, the Labour Party. Um, and that, you know, that, that's still the case. And if anything, it's continued to grow. And you know, pretty much among the entire working age population now, the Conservative vote has just hit rock bottom. There are very, very few working age people left in this country at this stage who say that they'd support uh, Liz Truss's Conservative Party. I mean, you read out some of the stats there. Um, and I say this as somebody whose job it is to do it. I'm getting bored of having to say record-breaking poll. Um, but pretty much every poll that's coming out at the moment is record-breaking in one way or another. There is no number across any of the polls that is good for the Conservatives. The Labour Party has the kind of leads that we were seeing, um, not quite at the height of Tony Blair, but we were used to seeing in the run-up to the 1997 general election. Um, Liz Truss's approval ratings are awful. I think probably one of the most important stats is that the lead Labour has on the economy you know, often elections in the UK are fought between, you know, a Labour Party that's seen as nice and caring and caring about public services and a Conservative Party that's seen as competent and good on economic growth. And quite often in those situations, the Conservative Party wins those elections. But now what we're seeing is a Conservative Party that isn't just seen as not particularly nice, isn't just seen as not good for public services, but is also seen as incompetent and not able to run the economy well. And it's really difficult in this situation. Uh, to see how Liz Truss can, can drag these numbers back from this. But that's the thing, isn't it? Often the Tories, I guess, are seen as nasty but competent, whilst Labour are often seen as nice but incompetent, I guess, is a simplistic way of putting it. So now the Tories are just seen as nasty and incompetent. Yeah, and I, I think this is, this is important for the Labour Party as well, because, um, you know, the Labour Party still can't rest in its laurels, it still can't... Um, it still can't take this for granted. It still needs to make sure that it takes the fight of the Tories in the next election. But when it's doing so, it needs to take advantage of, of that dynamic that we've just said. It can't let the Conservative Party take the take it back to the, the nice versus competent party. It needs to be hammering home this argument that, yes, of course, we're the nice party. You knew that all along. But also it's only our vision for economic growth, providing childcare, giving money, putting money in the pockets of ordinary working families rather than the very richest. Actually, that's the way of managing the economy well and growing the economy as well as well. So in, in terms of the messaging and the comms that we're seeing from the Labour Party, it needs to be focused on that economic competent argument um, over the next couple of years to make sure that it, it sort of cements in this lead that they've built up. Just in terms of electorally, let's talk about Liz Truss's philosophy, because she's got one. <laughs> she certainly does have one. 
Boris Johnson, I think, very clearly was not a politician defined by being principled. Uh, he was very much a shapeshifter, I suppose. Yeah. Um, but they understood the, his team broadly in 2019, where they thought the British, a lot, well, a significant chunk of the British electorate were, or certainly the voters they needed to win, which was often socially conservative, but not economically right wing. And so they went into the 2019 election. We can talk, I mean, in practice, how much, you know, they baked in cuts from the past. But nonetheless, they they certainly talked about abandoning austerity. They trumpeted investment in the NHS, police and uh, education. Um, and also, you know, about turning on the taps, often quite cynically in certain seats they wanted to keep and, and, and win. But um, this right-wing libertarianism that she's peddling, how popular actually is it? I mean, what portion of the population really buy into the sort of philosophy the Institute for Economic Affairs, the right-wing think tank, kind of propose? What, I mean, how many people actually yeah. support that? So, I mean, I mean, this is a point that has been made over and over again by political scientists to the point where previously I thought it had been overmade and people were reading way too much into it. Um, I've now been proven wrong by that because it seems that so many people in the Conservative Party weren't listening to this argument being made constantly for the past few years. But it is basically true that, you know, you can sort of, it's massively oversimplified model, but you've got a left-right economic spectrum and you've got a sort of socially conservative, socially liberal spectrum. Um, and... Basically, compared to political elites, politicians, the public are generally more left wing economically and they're generally more socially conservative. They're a bit more likely to support the death penalty than politicians. They're a bit more likely to support renationalizing things than politicians. That's basically the difference between our political elites in this country and voters out there in the country. So if you're placing yourself, you know, if, if the big argument that you're putting to the country is actually being even more right wing, than the government on economics and the government's being you're just putting yourself miles away um from where where voters the vast majority of voters um in this country actually are and that's at the best of times but the other thing uh that adds on top of this is what we call the thermostat effect basically the longer that the conservatives are in government for the more left-wing the public become the longer the labor party are in government for the more right-wing on economics the public become so after 12 years of conservative government the public have moved even more to the left on public services on tax and spend on nationalization on a lot of these issues so this trust is placing herself far away from where the public would be at the best of times but this isn't the best of times for that political position because the public have spent the last 12 years moving further and further uh, to the left um is it possible to recover from these figures because Liz Truss is the least popular. Well, when I say the least popular new prime minister, that doesn't really do it justice because no prime, new prime minister has ever plummeted these depths. I mean, normally they get a bounce. She ain't got a bounce. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, is, is it just terminal? I sort of, I, I often, I do often compare polling at the moment to almost like um, sort of the effects that we're seeing from global global warming it sort of just creates more weirdness across the board, right? It creates more heat waves. It creates more, um, you know, a, a, a massive amounts of rain, right? Which then lead to flooding. It, it, it isn't so much that it, it moves global warming or, or the poll, or, you know, the, the shift we've seen in polling moves things in one direction or the other. It creates just a lot more weirdness. It means as a pollster, I get to say record breaking in one way or another, a lot more. Um, so that sort of does mean that, yes, it's very easy for Liz Truss to reach this point of things being very badly, but it is still probably true um, for her to be able to turn things around. Um, I think that's unlikely, um, but I, I, you know, I still don't think we can rule it out uh, for that reason. Um, you know, there is no precedent for somebody reaching this position and turning things around, but then things that there are no precedent for in polling are happening more and more often. Um, the, the one path I suppose you could come up with that could put her back into a, into a good position is that somehow between now and the next general election, uh, there is a substantial amount of economic growth, um, enough growth that she can take credit for. I don't, I don't think most economists would say her plans are going to massively help economic growth, at least not um, in comparison to how much they're going to cost in borrowing. But maybe, maybe there's external factors that lead to economic growth that she can then take credit for and go to the country saying, look, I've achieved economic growth. Don't let us put that um, at threat with the Labour government, which is why I, keep, I think that the Labour Party needs to keep making this point that actually it's only a progressive vision for growth um, that can move the country along in, in, in the long run. But 
but I think I think that's that's the big threat. That's the only path I can see left um, to her being able to turn this around. But I'm not even sure the Conservative Party is going to let her have that long. I'm just that, that lastly, couple of questions. Last couple of questions. That's one of them. I mean, the, her polling is so calamitous. You've got people like Nadine Dorries on the airwaves warning quite correctly that if there was a general election tomorrow, the Tories would be wiped out. And according to some polls, um, depends on how you distribute the seats, they'd actually lose every single seat in the country. Obviously, that's not going to happen in a general election. Well, <laughs> maybe it will. I don't think it will. Um, but nonetheless, it's a disastrous situation. I would say they're going to turf her out. She's not going to lead them into a general election. I don't think that's likely. If they replace her with Rishi Sunak, do you think that could be dangerous for Labour in that he could go, well, I did warn about this. I, I mean, I think Rishi Sunak is, you know, the rehabilitation of Rishi Sunak, I think, is uh, diabolical if it's used to attack, uh, just to attack Liz Truss. But what do you think? I think on positioning, Rishi Sunak is a lot closer to where the public is because, you know, not only does he not... Um, by a lot of the arguments that this trust is making he also makes an argument on sort of realism on public finances that i think cuts through with, with voters a lot better so i think on positioning uh rishi sunak is, is a lot closer but the conservative party even in this situation is still going to face lots of difficulties where they've been recycling through leaders as things have been getting worse and worse for the country rishi sunak um is still not particularly popular his reputation has been pretty severely damaged um over the past eight months he's no longer the chancellor that that brought in furlough in the minds of voters out there in the country. So, you know, I still don't think things are going to be easy for the Conservatives regardless, but I think you're right. I still think it's likely um, that they will get, uh, the Conservative Party will probably end up removing Liz Truss because, I mean, you know, on current models, we're looking at 50, 100 seats potentially for the Conservatives in an election. We're hearing about, we're hearing about Tory MPs with 20,000 majorities saying, I'm just going to spend the next couple of years focusing on local constituency campaigns because there's no hope up there. 20,000 majority and I just need to do what I can to keep my seat. So I think when there's that level of fear um, inside yeah. the Conservative Parliamentary Party, I think they'll probably roll the dice on the idea of a new leader. It is funny. I'm sorry. I know you've got your impartial polling pollster cap on, but I can say it. that's. I mean, it's hilarious. It's 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 like in the in a, in a in a film where the bad guys finally get some comeuppance. The twelve years of just horror. Finally, uh, there's yeah. some accountability. Uh, just very quickly, lastly, because I'm, I'm going to move on to Zoe, who I've left waiting. Very rude of me. Um, in terms of Labour, so before this clusterfuck, if we're going to be honest with you. Um, Keir Starmer's ratings weren't good as an opposition leader. He had lower than Neil Kinnock in 992, but now they've surged, I think, because people are like, essentially see the Labour Party as a life draft to get, get out of this uh, hellish nightmare, which I think most people have concluded the British government has become. Um, but Labour are doing very well now. They're doing, I mean, obviously, they've got massive polling leads thanks to the Tory self-immolation. So do you think, you know, actually, this, this is just Labour's to lose now? Oh, I mean, I think at this stage, you'd have to say Keir Starmer being in Downing Street after the next election is by quite some distance uh, the most likely outcome. I do. I mean, it's very difficult to drag the two things apart in polling. Um, but I do think as well that Labour probably deserves some credit for being good on their own terms rather, rather than just um, this just being a problem with the Conservatives. I mean, if you look back over that party conference, um, you know, the party did manage to look fairly united. I think they also put forward quite a few pop policies and started to set out a vision, which, you know, from a lot of the work I've done, I can see would start to cut through with voters, this idea of a, you know, a fairer, greener Britain in the future, you know, putting forward this new publicly owned energy company is going to be incredibly popular with voters, incredibly um, generous policies, not generous policies, but incredibly positive policies on childcare, which, you know, you mean that's really in the those really voters who, 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 you know, who would decide elections. So, you know, what we're seeing from the polling, you know, is a lot of the Conservatives doing badly, but I think there's an argument there as well that actually Labour did a pretty good job on its own terms, particularly in their party conference a couple of weeks ago. Chris, thank you so, so much. That was a really thorough rundown of the plight of the Tories, uh, which is, I think we can still conclude, calamitous. Um, <laughs> but you've added nuance and you've fleshed out what that actually means. There's, the there's very little nuance, but I've tried. <laughs> very little. It was always full of nuance. But uh, really, really appreciate it, Chris. So thanks so much for joining us and enjoy the rest of your Sunday. It's kind thank of you, Aaron. You too. A bit nippy, but I'm sure the sun's on. Lots of love. Take care, buddy. Take care. Bye-bye. Lovely stuff. I'm just going to bring Zoe in straight away now. Hi, Zoe. Ah, you probably thought there'd be a little build-up there, didn't you? But I just dragged you in. How are you doing? No, no, it's fine. It's fine. I've been, I, you know, 
arranging my screen for like forever. Yeah, you had a tech issue, didn't you? But we got there. We my got there. Sorry. Level from the top and everything. Although your sound is a bit, I'm going to see if I can turn your sound up okay. a bit because you sound. I have that. I can. I mean, this is gonna. This is gonna ruin my look, but I can do. This I think. I think. I think definitely ruin your look just for audio. Okay. For, yeah. Oh, hello. Okay. So just for people listening to the podcast, Zoe has put some excellent, bright, luminous pink headphones and microphone on. She's plugging it They're in. Like... So we can just hear. Oh, hello. Can you hear me Speak. now? How's that? Yes. Oh, hello. Yeah, that's much Hello. Much Is that too loud? It's a bit loud, but I think it's manageable. Okay. I think let's just, let's see. So okay. While you do that, I'm going to put on a little clip by Brian Cox <laughs> at question time. Okay. Uh, talking about Liz Truss, and then you can respond to it. I cannot see how she can lead the country, and I don't think she can lead the country because I don't think people trust her. And uh, if you don't have trust, you don't have anything. And I think that's singularly absent uh, and certainly what's been going on at the Tory party conference has been an absolute fiasco you know and you we've seen it we've all witnessed it we've witnessed it on a daily basis and uh, she's the wrong person for the job I that's what I believe I just do not think she is the right person for the job and I also don't trust her I don't trust her there's something about her that I just simply do not trust so I ain't a fan Okay, let's hear from Aurora. Yeah, I didn't like her. <laughs> yeah. I think, when, you, when you get, like, uh, my own view with Liz Truss was I just thought she'd be catastrophic. I didn't see any appeal in the way that I could see. Of, oh, ooh, that, don't blow too much. Uh, I could see the appeal of, like, David Cameron or Theresa May or Boris Johnson in their own specific ways. Liz Truss didn't understand it from the beginning. Is she as catastrophic? Do you think this is as catastrophic as you could have imagined well i mean I, I i don't know whether i i don't know whether i'm gonna um i mean i'm worried that i'm going to offend your sensibilities but there's a problem right when the political class decides that somebody's the continuity candidate but when they don't look anything like continuity to the rest of the country so they decided that she was the continuity candidate from johnson even though she's absolutely nothing like johnson um, you know, she's ideological. He wasn't ideological. She's incredibly awkward and bad with people. He was not awkward and he was good with people. She she has, you know, they both have really serious Greek tragedy level flaws, but the flaws are very, very different. And the outlook is very, very different. So basically, they decided, I think, because she was the easiest to control, that she was the Johnson continuity candidate and that's what brought the party that's what brought the members and that's what brought the MPs but nobody really bought it and what they've ended up with is like it's like it's like trying to kind of smash trying to make a car out of two cars they've they've like tried to create something that isn't what they said it was um and that is really problematic for the party but you know again I'm really wary of saying I'm I'm not at all uncomfortable saying Labour's going to win the next election, but I'm really wary of saying when. Just quickly, by the way, I think you sound great, but a couple of yeah. comments asked you to drop your mic to lower chin level. A oh, bit. I'm just, I'm great just, idea. I'm just, great yeah, idea. Just, ask, ask them whether that works. Yeah? It does, it, is everyone happy now? It was just there was a lot <laughs> of feedback coming in. I just felt I'm the voice of the people here. I've got to give them a... <laughs> Give them a voice, give them a platform. Yeah, um, well, people saying your headphones are amazing. You've been gamer girl, lots of those sorts of comments. So yeah, I think it's really striking because actually a lot of Liz Trust phenomenon seems to be a lot of suppressed conservative rage and frustration, which is a lot yeah. of them don't think the Tories basically have had the kind of died in the wall, Thatcherite economic policy they craved, even though we had austerity and a drastic attempt to roll back the state with pretty devastating consequences for people. But this is all that suppressed energy, isn't it? They basically feel Boris Johnson was too left-wing on the economy. That's why a lot of Conservatives MPs didn't like him. And now it's almost like they're just throwing everything at the most radical right-wing wet dreams possible. They're not kind of, it's not like a, a slight shift in that direction. It's just, let's come up with every wacky idea a right-wing think tank has come up with in the last 10 years. I mean, look, so, so, so there are two strands to that, right? On the one hand, that you've got like the Tufton Street influence, you did really terrible, terrible it, nonsense think tanking, which has 
put her in place and is now leaving her to kind of be the mouthpiece for these ideas, which were never what they were, which were never what they said they were, right? They, the, 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 the Tufton Street lot, it was always about rolling back the environmental agenda and having a complete kind of financial services bonfire, free for all, not a bonfire. Um, and that, and, and it, it's really noticeable, it's really marked that the Tory party is now bankrolled effectively by hedge fund managers and property developers. And those people benefit when there's a lot of volatility, which there is, and they benefit when there's a huge inequality, which there is. You know, they are not backed by regular business anymore. They're not backed by the CBI. They're not backed by small and medium enterprises, but nor are they backed by large enterprises. They're exclusively backed by these very niche groups who benefit from the kind of chaos they're causing. But then specifically with Liz Truss, so she comes out and says growth, growth, growth. But that actually, again, in the manner of a Greek tragedy, puts her on a head-on collision course with all the fissures in her party, right? So if you think about how you create growth, you either have a, you either really lift the lid on immigration and let half a million people come in, that's going to put her on a direct collision course with the Suella Braverman tendency. Or you lift planning reg regulations and you have a mass program of house building. That's going to put her on a direct collision course with all the kind of grey panther voters. Or you say, I'm going to reassert trading links with our largest massive trading block. That's going to put her on a direct collision course with Brexiteers. <laughs> um, or you say, I'm going to... In fact, I don't think there is another. I don't think there is another way to create growth. Those are the ways, and all of them. Not only do they un unearth the holes in her own thinking, but they really, really foreground the kind of factionalism within the party. So she's come out with this kind of nonsensical, I suppose the problem is we are thinking too much about how nonsensical it is. You know, it's like that, the, the column today, growth, growth, growth is hard, hard, hard. So we're saying you can't just create, you can't just wave your magic wand. It's more complicated. You're dumb. But really the more important point is that she, her party is very divided. It would have taken more than warm words to bring it back together. But the, the course she's chosen, all it's going to do is really, really explode the divisions that there are. Well, I, I find it really striking. There's no electoral strategy of, of any description. By that, what I mean is under every government, normally what you have is a series of policies which are particularly targeted to shoring up a voter coalition. Yeah. And often yeah. disproportionately to those swing, particular swing voters and marginal constituencies. That's what they yeah. do. So yeah. obviously the Tories have an electoral coalition, which includes obviously the so-called Red Wall. See, there's a lot of miss there. They're disproportionately older homeowning voters, but nonetheless, that's that's what happened. Um, there doesn't seem to be any sense of here's the voters we need to win an election and here's where they are, and we need to direct some specific policies at them. It just it, it comes across like they've just lifted a load of ideological blueprints from the Tufton Street think tanks you've yeah. you've, you've yeah, suggested yeah, yeah. and just like thrown them at a wall. But the, the funny thing is, is that everybody was always like, she's very, very stubborn. If you look at any kind of interaction with Liz Truss, from her tutor when she was at Oxford to her spads, they always say, you know, she, she, she takes your advice and your kind of brute realities and your arguments and just ignores them. <laughs> and that's kind of, you know, some people say that with admiration. I don't see how you can say that with admiration because it's really problematic. But the truth is that she's she's the, the brute reality that she's really ignored is that some people have to benefit from what you're doing. Some people have to. And th this is why, you know, she was very disappointed, I think, that her energy policy didn't didn't um, get more plaudits. She's going to be disappointed again when up uprating universal credit in line with inflation rather than wages doesn't get more plaudits. And the reason it doesn't is because the best she's got is we can make it exactly the same as this terrible situation you were already in. Um, and, you know, with energy prices, it's 28% worse than the terrible situation we were already in. Add to that what a huge number of mortgage payers, myself among them, who whose payments are, are doubling, 
and presumably that's going to feed into rents. So anybody who has anywhere to, who needs anywhere to live that they don't own outright is really going to take a pounding. And yeah. it's very hard to see how via a kind of culture war or a giveaway or a tax break, she can build any kind of major support base. Yeah, it does remind me, actually, there was, when I was at university, I often say this, but I wrote, put it in my first book, Chaz, a One Nation Tory gave this um, off-the-record speech, Chatham House Rules, where he said, the thing he, he said this in a matter-of-fact way, he said, the thing you've got to remember about the Conservatives is it's a coalition of privileged interests, and the way it yeah. wins elections is by giving just enough to just enough other people. Yeah. But they're not, that, that, this just isn't doing Well, they're, they're, they're not... Um... I mean, I think partly I'm not I'm not a Liz Truss defender, but partly that's I'd because how would they how would they do that? You know, it's like they cannot they can keep pensioners almost happy, but that's that's not like a, that's not a completely decisive group. If you turn if I don't know if you remember that piece in the Economist that showed the red wall seats were not were not won by a culture war. They were actually won by younger people, millennials, Gen X, Gen Z, moving out to red wall areas because they could afford homes there. So you've got a kind of new homeowner class in these traditionally very deprived areas, and they were skewing the results. Now, all those people are eventually, over the next few months, going to be screwed because... You, you do not go into a mortgage on 2% and see it rise to 6% and not feel that. I mean, it's really serious. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you're a Tory party, don't mess around with people with mortgages. <laughs> it's just rule, no, no. rule, rule, and this rule is one. before this is before we see any of the impacts, right? Like, so, I mean, you won't remember, <laughs> but in the 90s, when there were these kind of massive interest rate hikes, there were people were much less indebted, so you'd get a sixteen percent rate rise, but people were, had like fifty grand mortgages, so it was still really painful. But it wasn't like it's going to be now with a a, yeah. a rate rise that we're probably looking into. I mean, they're talking about eight percent by the middle of next year. So you're 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 kind of looking at these situations, which are going to cause actual material hardship. People are going to be in negative equity. People are going to be trying to sell houses because they're because they can't afford the mortgage. The house market is going to collapse. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. The big five housing developers have already seen their profits halve in a year just because the markets expect there to be fewer homes built. You know, we, we, we're only right now on the precipice of how bad things are going to get and she's already the most unpopular leader that that party has ever seen so i mean it's not really a question for her to decide because she famously doesn't listen to anybody and doesn't doesn't respect things like numbers or gravity or anything like that but it is a question for the party and it's and i've definitely seen conservatives wondering you know if we'd let ourselves fail in 92 would we have got to the situation in 97, which locked us out for three terms? Um, so th th there are definitely factions in the party that thinks if you remove Liz Trust, put a caretaker in, call, a call an election soon, the damage you sustain as a party and as a brand will be less than if you remove her, put a caretaker in until January 2025, because who knew? I certainly didn't. 
the five-year term is actually five years plus one month. The latest they could hold an election is January 2025. Um, but, you know, if they, if, if they keep that and we don't have the green shoots of economic recovery by then, they're out of power probably for the rest of my natural life. Well, as well, because actually, <laughs> if, if Labour, well, yeah, I mean, get music to my ears. But it, I mean, if you think, you know, Labour, if they've got any sense, well, I think it's party policy still, would introduce voting for 16 and 17 year olds, uh, would do things like yeah. expand the franchise, because at the moment yeah, yeah. the Tories have done things to restrict the franchise, and also try to redraw constituencies based on that, uh, yeah. which rig things yeah. in their favour. So the Tories could end up in a real problem, because actually, even though I don't, Labour's not going to do proportional representation. They would do Are a you load sure of they're policy. not, though? I think they might. I, I don't know for certain, but I think they might. Well, if they win a massive majority, you think they'll introduce PR? Well, they, they adopted it at a conference. Yeah, do you think Keir Starmer's going to listen to that? <laughs> yeah, maybe not. I don't know. I mean, look, I think Labour... Just to stick on the Conservatives for one more minute, the weird thing about that party is that they've ejected or sidelined or frozen out so many people who they used to be a much broader coalition and Brexit caused them to get rid of all the Europhiles, to get rid of all the wets, to get rid of the people like Dominic Grieve that people actually like, to get rid of people like Ken Clark, although he was retiring anyway. But, you know, to really freeze all those kind of all that plurality of conservative opinion out. But the more purist they get and the more ideological they get, the more they fall out with each other. <laughs> and I think I kind of understand why, because it is like what Gary Young said when the Brexit vote was won. It's the dog that chased the car and then it catches the car and then it doesn't know how to drive the car. And that's exactly what that party has become. They've got there's like a load of dogs who've caught a car and don't know how to drive it. And so that creates this very recriminatory um, atmosphere in which they're all constantly blaming each other and that's how because I was reading a piece in the sun this morning about all the factions in the Tory party and it had like the far right so that's kind of Suella Braverman and weirdly Ian Duncan Smith it had the wets so that was Penny Morden it had the red wall so that was all that kind of new intake who are quite naive but they they're not so naive that they can't see themselves losing their own seats it had the kind of Rishi Sunak realists and it had the Boris loyalists and that's five factions not even counting Mal Michael Gove who's a faction in his own right who none of them can agree with each other even though you wouldn't really be able to figure out what their what their kind of philosophical differences were it's just that they've got themselves yeah. to a place of such weird purity that they can fall out over anything David Barrett before I ask about Labour David Barrett wants to know what the long-term consequences of trust will be. Could this be the beginning of the end for the Tories? I think the problem is, the Tories, well, we were there, but in the past where you think they've got absolutely decimated in the 1997 election, they're out of power forever. And obviously, they represent a particular... Like, if they didn't exist, they would be invented, given the structure of British society. They don't yeah. They don't exist in a vacuum. What do you, th but what do you, do you think, actually, though, this could cause them... Because I think, if you think back to, say... The winter of discontent. The winter of discontent became this. It was used as a salutary warning against collectivism. It was a salutary yeah, yeah, warning yeah. that if Labour, you know, the bad old days of Labour, this is what they did. And you can almost see with this free market deranged experiment, people go where they try to slash taxes on the rich and it causes this massive economic crisis after 12 years of chaos anyway. Do you see what I mean? It, it, it can, what do you think in the long term? Do you think it could actually really badly damage and sully them in that way? But the thing is, is that all parties in power, Neil Lawson always used to say, the Conservatives are always in power. They're just only sometimes in offer in office. So they, they, you know, the those interests are always represented really strongly, um, and it just depends what kind of brand of prime minister you have. And I don't completely agree with that. I think, I think there were definitely times in the Labour administration where those interests weren't paramount, um, especially when Gordon Brown had his head. I mean, I'm not, I suppose I'm not, um, parties in government need an opposition, right? And I can't see if a, a Labour government, the main opposition coming from the left, I just can't see it. So the main opposition to a Labour government has to come from the right. So whether the Liberal Democrats <laughs> completely reinvent themselves as a sort of, you know, kind of nice Tory. 
-hmm. or whether the Tories rebuild. Something's going to have to rebuild. And I, and I agree with parties in government having an opposition. In terms of Labour, um, a year ago, I sent a senior Labour official an opinion poll, which was very bad for Labour at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, making a point of, well, this, this experiment isn't working very well, is it? Um, <laughs> the, the other day, they sent me an opinion poll, which is the last, uh, which was obviously Labour 30 points ahead. And the point of them saying that was, yeah, ah, ha, ha, in your face. How do you like them apples? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which but, is I fair, mean, actually, okay. I mean, <laughs> they're, they're probably pretty happy. The point is, well, I'm, I mean, to be honest, I mean, because people always, you know, whatever people say, I'm a, I'm a sad, tragic, died in the wall Labourite. So, yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, turns out I quite like Labour being ahead of the opinion polls. <laughs> the point I was going to make, though, is the point I was going to make is actually, aren't, but aren't they going to go a lot of it? Because basically, you know, a lot of new Labour revanchists are associated with the Keir Starmer leadership. And what's happened here is a story of Tory self-immolation. Like, Labour didn't mm-hmm. make them party during the pandemic illicitly and then lie about it. Labour didn't make them cover up corruption and sex pests. You know, Labour yeah. didn't force them not to address the cost of living crisis. And Labour did not force them to make Liz Truss prime minister and come up with these deranged economic policies. But but they'll use this, a lot of them, to go, well, aha, our Blairism is once again vindicated. Or will they? What do you think? Well, is it, it, there are a number of things going on there. So. Um... Keir Starmer did bring Boris Johnson down, right? There, there is that he he focused very tightly on the part on Partygate. He didn't have to do that, and that is what brought him down. So there, there is agency there, which would which I think would be unfair not to recognise. Secondly, I don't know. I was interviewing Tom Baldwin, who you, you remember, who used to be a Miliband's guy, um, and he said. Keir's in a position to pick up those apples. You know, 80% of this is the Tories making a huge mess of it. But 20% of it is Labour being in the right position to pick those fruits up because they haven't. And he said, if, if, if this had been Ed, we wouldn't have been able to pick up the fruits because we were trying to do something genuinely different. Now, I have like, I have queries over that. I don't remember Ed trying to do something as different as Tom thinks he was trying to do. Oh, no, um, Jay, what are you talking about? Labour were going to reduce tuition fees to £6,000 a year in <laughs> so, Well, yeah, exactly, exactly. And actually, I remember having an argument about with Rachel Reeves about that and saying, this is just bullshit. And she and she really turned on me and said, you're, it, it, it's only because you're so affluent that you can't see the difference between £9,000 and £6,000. And I was like, no, that's not why it is. But anyway, there was... Tom thinks that they were they had a very bold platform and that would have prevented them from maximizing this disaster. I think they didn't have as bold a platform as they thought they did, but I do agree with him that they wouldn't have maximized in the same way. There's something about Keir's mechanistic bearing, right? You don't look at him and think he wants to remake the economy. You look at him and think he wants to change the plumbing he wants to make sure all the stopcocks are in the right place he wants to do this kind of very practical um problem solving and that does make him extremely well placed to confront what is a kind of tsunami of problems i get that but i mean as i was saying to chris before before the mini budget and this the whole fiasco that followed um, Keir Starmer was less popular than Neil Kinnock in 1992, which obviously... Yeah, which is saying a lot, right? Well, Labour lost that election, so... Yeah. But obviously the difference there is, you know, you know, clearly John Major wasn't catastrophically unpopular in the way Liz Truss and Boris Johnson before him was, so th- he did have an advantage there. He wasn't as catastrophically unpopular as the incumbent. But... I suppose what I'm kind of interested in there is, I mean, like everyone go, but it's interesting the same people who say about the 2017 election, which we're not supposed to talk about because it never happened. Um, they basically say Labour got 40% of the vote because of a, basically because of a, a bungled social care policy. Do you see what I mean? Oh, no, I don't agree with that at all. Well, I know, I know, but now they'll say, Labour have done. Look at what Labour have done. <laughs> but actually, this. Yeah, is I know, but Owen, we've got we've got to put our personal chagrin aside here, right? I mean, I I have a lot of personal chagrin about what I thought what I thought the Starmer program would be versus what it is. But 
I don't agree. I don't know if you've read Michael Chesham's piece in The Observer today. It, it, the kind of thesis is the left just has to break out of the Labour Party altogether and find its own way of organising. And I actually don't agree with that. I think you. I think it's like a relationship. I think we've, we've had a really rocky time, the kind of left, the centre and the right of the Labour Party. And I think, and I do think the, the right of the Labour Party is quite abusive, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think that it's irreconcilable. And I do think that certainly, I mean, the best case scenario for me is a massive landslide because that's that enables you to be generous, right? And Blair actually in the early days was quite generous. He was quite generous I, like intellectually. He listened to a lot of people and he was quite generous in terms of policy. You know, there were policies that actually weren't but weren't Blairite that got through in those first in that first term that because he had he had to kind of he had the majority to be generous and I and I and I kind of look forward to that I think that I don't think that um I don't think the kind of nastiness I kind of found 2020 2021 really marked by kind of nastiness within the Labour ranks which I don't blame on Keir Starmer actually I blame on other factions and and I and if, if I blame him for anything it's not being enough of a politician to see what was going on um but I don't I, I don't think the nastiness would survive a massive majority I think a massive majority makes everybody kinder in terms of just you mentioned Michael Chesson who's written a piece uh, Michael Chesson was one of the leading lights of another Europe is possible which um I was involved with during the referendum campaign um now, the point there about the left breaking out, I think it's really interesting because you sometimes get these Blairites on the internet basically going, well, actually, these lefties don't really want a Labour government because that will make them irrelevant. No, I know. I know. Now, but actually, forgetting about, not talking about individual lefties and what their prestige will be under a Labour government, but actually, uh, what I'd say there is, you know, it's not like New Labour, for example, where New Labour came to power in a period of relative social peace. It was masked. It was a financial yeah. problem. It was not sustainable. Living standards going up and so on. So the point of conflict between a mass movement and the Labour government was actually over foreign policy. It was over the Iraq war. Yeah, there yeah, 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 yeah. Of, this time there wouldn't, because Labour would be coming to power in the midst of an acute social yeah. crisis. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's, really, it's much more like Wilson than it is like Blair. Yeah. So they raise expectations, but then they won't do, that. like people, people will feel some sense of disappointment that it's not going, it's not, you know, transforming their living conditions in the way they'd want in the same way to be honest the tory right obviously flourished under uh, from 2010 onwards because they they had the um they they tapped into conservative disappointment so i think don't you think that's when the left comes into its own as an extra parliamentary movement yeah. and enough is enough yeah yeah, that yeah. Lay the and i think that, but i also think that the left is where the ideas are right it's like the green new deal stuff did not come from the center it certainly didn't come from the right it came from the left and it came from like a it came from the thinking left. And I think probably probably when Labour gets in, it's going to be really, really rocky. But different to the Wilson government getting in, where there were just huge exogenous shocks that no government could have could have really managed. Different to the Attlee government, where you're looking at a huge desecration of everything. Um, and a lot of the, you know, a lot of the hope and power came from that sense of just having lost everything there there are the only the, the i mean as far as i can see and i might be wrong i'll stand corrected but the only thing i can see to rebuild you know prosperity and stability in this country is a green new deal a mass renewables program which creates high skilled jobs and makes it energy affordable plus a mass house building program which equalizes inequality and you know equalizes the relationship between renter and landlord which at the moment is way out of whack and a sort of tacit rejoin agenda where we rebuild trading links to the eu brackets with more immigration so you can like bring it on if the labor right has a program different to that that will actually bring prosperity back to the united kingdom i would love to hear it <laughs> but i what i don't want to do is get mired in like those conversations where they go those things aren't realistic it's like you know just go and read roberto Mangera unger 
realism is is defined by the people who've got the power. Lastly, yeah. <laughs> no, this is all great. This is all great. What for? Um, for trust. trust. How long? How long is she going to last? And do you think is it just going to be a, will it be a walk in for for Sinak? Or will well, actually, no, I don't think. I mean, a lot of people are saying bet, bet, buy shares in Boris Johnson. I don't think that's going to happen. I think people are still very angry with him. He probably, re realistically, Johnson would want the election to happen in January 2025. He would want a caretaker prime minister between now and then. And he'd want to come back on like a kind of, you know, riding high. I don't think that can happen. I don't think once they've got a caretaker in, I don't think they can last very long. You cannot have three prime ministers in one term on the same mandate. I just don't think you can do it. And I think a lot of a lot of the red walls certainly are going to say either we won't keep our seats if we don't clear this up, or I've got a new job anyway, so there's nothing in it for me to to shore it up. So I think we're going to see a caretaker prime minister. Be on or before or after November the twenty third, um, because you know if she can't get November the twenty third through, she's not prime minister, and that's straightforward. So I think there's going to be a caretaker prime minister before Christmas, and I think there's going to be moves by May to have an election. Zoe, actually, there's one last thing I did want to put to you, and this mm -hmm. is following. It's completely separate, to be honest, but it's it's because of Nicola Sturgeon's intervention. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to play a little clip of it and I just want to have some yeah. of your thoughts because you've been, I think, very courageous in support of our trans siblings. There was a, a rally outside the parliament yesterday. You've seen that tweet of J.K. Rowling wearing her T-shirt saying that you're a destroyer of women's rights. I mean, have you listened enough to, to women, on, the women who don't agree with you on the, the reform yeah, of I've, the gender I've, I've, listened, I've listened a lot um, and I, you know, people have a right to express their view and they've a right to express that view in whatever way they see fit. I think you know, we should all try to respect different views. I, I feel very strongly about these issues. I've thought deeply about them. I've listened to all different arguments. Um, and my view is as sincerely held as the views of those uh, on the other side. What the Gender Recognition Bill seeks to do is simplify an existing process to make it less degrading, less traumatic, less invasive, for people who want to legally change their gender. And I don't think that is a bad thing to do for a group in society, very, very small group of people in society. There safeguards? Let That's me, what they worry well, about. Let, let, me, let me come on to this. Yeah. Um, a very, very small group in society who are already possibly the most stigmatised. Um, so simplifying and making that process less inhumane is the right thing to do. In terms of safeguards, so the worry is that some men will choose to exploit that process to abuse women. Now, you know, in my, I'm 52 years old. Um, I, in my experience, most men who want to abuse women don't feel the need to change their gender to do it. And abusive men are what we should be focusing on. They are the risk to women, not trans women. If you, under the bill, if you seek to fraudulently try to change your gender, remember it's still going to be a statutory declaration, a legal process, having to declare legally that you want to live in your new gender for the rest of your life. If you do that fraudulently, it's a criminal offence. I mean, she carries on there, but I think it's yeah. very eloquently put. I just wanted to do a little sample of it. I think it's really interesting, this whole discussion, because actually, thinking about it, the people who've been most outspoken in support of trans people have actually been cis women in politics, people like um, Nicola Sturgeon, Mary Black from the SNP as well. Yeah, yeah, um, she's and people, Rayner, Dawn, Dawn Butler, people like that, Rosanna Allencarn, people like that. Um, and and then people like yourself in the media, Ash Sarkar, people like that. The thing um, is, I need to, because I, because I just want to, I just want to bring it back to what you said earlier. It's not, it's not courageous for me because it's it's quite it's quite a kind of jujitsu thing. This that all the kind of people who are hell for leather anti-trans are trying to make it into an issue of of identity. So you know, gay men who support trans people are actually misogynists because they hate women, and lesbians who support trans people are self-hating lesbians because normal lesbians hate trans people and young people have got false consciousness and this person has this. So what they do is they kind of do a kind of series of um, fractural othering 
where every single person has, by reason of their identity, a false consciousness around trans issues. And then they do this weird ventriloquism. Janice Turner used to do this a lot. It used to drive me fucking insane. She'd, she'd go, well, tell that to a refugee woman who can't understand the difference, who, can't, who doesn't go for a smear test because she was called a person with a cervix instead of a woman. <laughs> and you're like, so there's this kind of fractal um, analysis on one side and a ventriloquism on the other side and everybody just gets torn down by it you know everybody and then because I'm a middle-aged woman and I'm the same age as you know I'm the same age as well I'm not the same age as Julie Birchall and Julie Bendel and Suzanne Moore but I'm sort of on I'm in their tribe and I always have been they find it way way harder to to do that to me you know the worst they're going to call me is a pick me girl and I'm like well you know, you're pathetic. Um, so it's very easy for me to, it's very easy for me to put a view in this space in a way that it's actually not very easy. And you know yourself, you've been absolutely savaged by these people um, in, in very personal and really problematic ways. You know, like they're trying to make you into a non-person um, by using what they see as your identity markers and marry allying them to, kind of vicious misogyny and then pushing you out to see they cannot do that to me because it's, they, they can fucking see me they, i'm exactly the same as hadley freeman you know <laughs> it's ridiculous to see it any other way so i don't feel and i think and i can just hear in nicola sturgeon's tone that she feels the same way as i do there's very low jeopardy for us but Having said that, you know, it's really great. I'm really, I'm, I really love how clearly she expresses herself. I've loved hearing Emily Thornbury. I've loved oh, hearing, yeah. you know, so many people make a really straightforward, humane, non-hysterical case. And, and you know, it, it, it's, it, it's a pleasure to see. It's interesting, Emily Thornbury's got a, I think a trans, I think her cousin's a trans man. Um, but it's just interesting because often people yeah. have personal experiences, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With, yeah. with they have loved ones who are trans and that often you know obviously whatever dogma or they might they might have had in the past it collides with the lived reality of of of, of trans people in their in their in their orbit and also sorry, but was... you know oh sorry you're for your yeah sorry i was gonna say that you know it's like before this was turned into an identity issue the kind of people you think of as like classically conservative did not have a problem with it they were like christ we've weathered we've weathered homosexuality no longer being a problem. This we can cope with. Um, and I do remember because my first husband's nephew <laughs> was trans. Um, and they and the whole family, you know, the evangelical Christian family completely didn't bat an eyelid, did not bat an eyelid. And it's only since it's been marshaled into a kind of political utility case that, that people have suddenly ranged against. And I actually think there's a, there is a kind of generational warfare going on between kind of older feminists who think they're becoming irrelevant and, and are taking the fight to younger feminists via trans people. And I just think that is absolutely malicious because you know if you want to have a fight if we want to have a generational fight in feminism let's let's do it I've got no problem with it but I don't want to do it on the backs of people whose problem it isn't. Amen. Beautiful. <laughs> as ever, as ever. So that's what I'd expect from you. I just take it as take it as red, to be honest with you. Uh, Zoe, thanks so much for joining us and sharing all your thoughts. It was uh, a real, real pleasure. You are a joy, always a joy. <laughs> thank I you. Thank you. So I don't think about you. a lot. I don't think about lots of people, but I do think about you. <laughs> uh, lots of love. And by the way, your headphones were as well as your contributions were complimented all the way through. People. <laughs> But obviously they're not mine, they're my kids. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, they're your but, kids. You know, they're, they're, she's yeah, even sure. more pro-trans than I am, and I'm 100% pro-trans. <laughs> yeah, the Zoomers, the Zoomers are going to, they're going to save us all, Generation Z. They're not going to yeah, take any so. shit. No. All right, lots of love. I'll see you soon. Enjoy okay, the rest lots of love. Day. See you soon. Yeah. See you, bye. Brilliant stuff from Zoe. She is a joy. I always say that. Um, just quickly, I'm going to go through some super chats. Sorry, I, did, I was going to go through them during the show, but we didn't. I, the only thing is I can see my battery for my camera's on one. So if my camera suddenly turns off, that's why, because I should have charged it. I didn't, and I'm going to get in trouble. 
Um, Tad Cantwell asked about uh, the boundary changes of the Conservatives and how that will impact. And that's true, actually, because they, you know, new electoral boundaries are coming in. Given the scale at the moment of the Tory polling collapse, that's not going to save them. And hopefully, if the Labour government had any sense, they would redraw the electoral map fairly, not on the basis of gerrymandering, fairly. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, the Tories, like the Republican right, have manipulated the electoral system and the voting system and tried to suppress the vote because they know that will help keep them in power. Thanks to FSM is the dog. Um, Beth McCard asks how Labour will clear up the Tory mess after 12 years of this and will they be able to? Well, yeah, I, get, I, I think I'm torn a bit in terms of my answer because it's very important we don't give them the excuse of them going, well, there's too much damage, so we, I'm afraid, to scale your ambitions down when we should be pushing them to undo all that damage. <laughs> and maybe they won't be able to do that, but, you know, in, in, in when you bargain, you try and push the, in the, in, in, to get the most you can, you can gain. And... They've devastated society. I mean, these 12 years really have been the most chaotic post-war British period. Um, it's been one hell of a ride. But, you know, just the longest squeeze in wages since the Napoleonic era, which was a, a statistic I keep quoting, but really does like the heart of a lot of the fibra, political fibra. Um, political, that's not, I'm not a good job. I'm not a writer. Uh, it's been at the heart of the political turmoil um, of the last few years. Um that's structural. It's not just Tory policies. It's a system that Tory policies entrench, and Labour needs to overhaul that, in my view, obviously. Um, uh, thank you to... Oh, and now we've got Simeon Wakeley. Can you address the issue of disability hate crime? Yes, very important. I have written about that in the past, but not recently. So that's a very good point. I will try and do stuff on that, Simeon. Sorry, I called you Simon. Simeon. Um, very, 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 very important indeed, and something I'm very passionate about. Thanks to Shiny Darko, uh, thanks to David Barreter, thanks to Tom Fo Tom Fon Frasdo, thanks to Shiny Oh Shiny Vodi, thanks to Shiny Darko. Um, oh yeah, and Tom Fon Frasdo wants to know about UKIP. Will they rise again? Well, it's interesting actually because Nigel Farage is. I mean, I know he went for UKIP's Brexit, but he's cheering on. The he said finally a conservative budget, which is interesting because they did try to posture as though they were like not really the Tories, the, you know, because a lot of UKIP voters were to the left on the on the economy. So Nigel Farage tried to keep that quite quiet. But now you've got this hardcore Tory budget. He's cheering them on because he was always a right wing Thatcherite, cosplaying as a voice of the working man. Um. And State Daft says, well, the mirror brought Johnson down. Labour's not been visionary since Corbyn. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think Johnson was brought down by a media, actually, which, if we're going to be honest about it, decided they were going to get rid of him, having allowed him, built him up, and then allowed him to play politics in easy mode. I say that because um, his birthday party was reported in the Times the day after it happened. It wasn't reported as something that had been wrong and against the rules. It was about a year later, it was reported as being against the rules. That is interesting, isn't it? It's interesting how the media can build up a politician, if they so wish, and then decide they're fed up with them, get rid of them. That's what happened with Johnson, to a large degree. You know, it was suddenly a new prism was applied to his administration. It must have been very puzzling for him or disorientating that the media suddenly, which let him get away with so much, suddenly... Uh, turned on him in that way right that is enough from me we've got some great stuff coming up we've got an interview with peter oborn i need to reply to him oh my god um i didn't do that um i'm gonna get back to peter oborn we're gonna interview him about lots of things liz tross i'd also like to talk to him about the um al jazeera documentary on labor he's had lots to say on that and i promise we talk about it so we will i've tweeted about it but i just think it's worth talking about properly um so i'm gonna do that with peter oborn because he has lots to say on it, and you can't just portray him as some raging lefty. Uh, he isn't. He's, he was traditionally a conservative. Um, so we will um, we'll talk to him about that and other things. Uh, someone says free Assange. Yes, we did a video um, with Stella Assange, who is Assange's wife. Um, so do check that out. Do check out a Tory video if you haven't watched it. it is, we're proud of it. I mean, I can say that. It's only boastful, because you know, all I did is babble. It was... Jack, who made the video, that was thanks to you again on patreon.com forward slash Owen Jones 84. You make all that possible, all of this possible. If you think that I'm incapable of doing any of this, you can barely tie my shoelaces. <laughs> um, we've got lots of interviews coming up and obviously we have the show next Sunday.
But I think that's about it for me, really, to be honest with you. <laughs> Nothing more to be said. So uh, press like. Don't forget, if you please press like on the YouTube video. Press subscribe. Leave a comment. Um, and also do the same on the podcast. And um, thank you, everybody. Lots of love. I will see you very soon. Thank you for listening, everyone. I hope you found that educational, interesting, engaging, and all sorts of other things. Do support us on patreon.com forward slash ownjones84. You keep doing the podcast and the channel uh, with our incredible team's work. Or you use the support function in the description. And do subscribe and leave us a review, please. Some stars, any of those things. Um, but otherwise, lots of love. Hope you're well. Speak to you soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.